the uh, married couple that had been in a fight that had lasted the entire weekend. I mean, it started on Thursday night and went through Friday, Saturday, Sunday. By, by Sunday, they, they weren't even talking to each other. They, they were just disgusted at each other. And uh, uh, Monday morning comes and goes, and they're, they're getting ready to go to work. They're not talking to each other. Finally, the, the wife decides that she needs to break the silence because she's got an issue that she needed help with. And so she just walks up to the husband and turns around and goes, zip me up. He goes, oh, okay, this is how we're going to break the silence. So he takes the zipper of her dress and goes, zip, 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 Ha! She was livid. She goes to work and she can't even concentrate at work at all. She's in tears. Finally, the boss says, you know what? You're no good to me today. You just need to go home. So she thought, well, good. I can just go home and not think about this. But as soon as she rounded the corner of their, of their street, uh, right there in the driveway was her husband's car, meaning that he was home. And now she was like, she was mad because she wanted a peaceful day without him. Now she has to deal with him. And not only that, but he's actually there working on the car. She could see his legs coming out from underneath the car. And and so as she she got out of her car, walking to the house, she realized this is her chance to get back at him. Because there are his legs sticking out from underneath the car. And so she went up to his zipper and went, zip, 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 zip. How do you like that? Now, apparently, he didn't like it because she heard the clunk as he hit his head (laughs) out of surprise. Then then she goes into the house and sees her husband. (laughs) Who says to her, "Hun, did you see Pastor Frank? He's here helping out with... (laughs) Fights happen, don't they? I bet you some of you may have even had a fight with a loved one on your way to church here today. Just because you're a believer doesn't mean that you are going to be immune to conflict in your relationships. Uh, Back in the uh, late 1800s, there's a story about a small Baptist church in Mayfield County, Kentucky. Uh, The church was a Baptist church, so they didn't have elders. They had deacons, which kind of operated as leaders of the church. And there were only two deacons. It was a small church. but, But those deacons hated each other hated each other. They, they always had this conflict between them. And one particular Sunday, though, one deacon thought he was being helpful. He, he, he attached a small wooden peg in the back of the church so that when the pastor came, he could hang up his coat and his hat. Well, when the second deacon showed up that day, he was incensed, outraged that somebody would put a peg up without consulting him first. And you know what happens. The, the church began to take sides. Some people sided with the first deacon, some with the second deacon, and a hundred years later, residents of Mayfield County still refer to the two churches as Peg Baptist and Anti-Peg Baptist. And these are followers of Christ. Considering the church, I mean, if you look at the church today, the church is comprised of all sorts of people. And speaking of the church, Paul declares to the Colossian believers in Colossians 3, here in the church, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. Now, that doesn't mean that those people weren't there. They were there. But what he's saying is none of those labels matter. He says, but Christ is all. That's the one label that counts. Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, he says, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness 
and humility and gentleness and patience. Bear with one another. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. Now, now in the early church, it was a very fascinating situation. Because for the first time in all of human history, you had people of all races, from all cultures, from all genders and economic statuses, social classes. They were all coming to faith in Jesus. And they were all being put into one body. And the only thing that they would have in common with each other is their faith in Jesus. You would even have, and this was very awkward, you would even have slaves and masters coming together to worship the Lord together. Here, here you'd have two people of unequal rank in society coming together as brothers and sisters in the Lord. So how does that work, you, you, you wonder? How, how, did they, how did they deal with that? Well, they had their problems. If you recall our, our uh, Acts series last, last year, we saw that at the very beginning of the church, there, there was the, these, uh, the, these accusations of racism as they were trying to distribute the, the food to the widows and, and the Greek-speaking widows felt like they were getting the shaft, like they weren't being treated fairly like the, the Hebrew-speaking widows. See, they, they, they were not immune to conflict. There was conflict in the early church. So how do you deal with that? How do you take a bunch of people who have nothing in common from all sorts of, of, of the political spectrum or the racial spectrum, or the socioeconomic spectrum? How do you bring those people all together to be a body and to be the church the way that God designed the church to be? Today begins just a two-week series on how to deal with conflict in the church, how we're, how we're to deal with it, and, and really how it all fits together in this idea of reconciliation. Now, the scripture that I want us to focus in on today is found in a a small letter from Paul to a man named Philemon. Go ahead and start to look for it. It's it's in between Titus and Hebrews, so that gives you a little bit of of a hint. It's towards the end of your Bible. Anyways, it's addressed to a guy named Philemon who was a wealthy slave owning friend of Paul's. It's one chapter, very short book, but from this short book, we get this amazing insight into the life of the early church, of all these types of people coming together, and how they would deal with some of these issues of conflict. So today, I'm actually reading an entire book, okay? Here we go. From Philemon, starting in verse 1. Here we go. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. What I love about that is Paul is saying is as we share our faith with other people, we get a a better glimpse into how good our faith is as we're explaining that to other people. Then he says, Your love, Philemon, has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold... 
and I could order you to do what you ought to do, yet I, I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. (laughs) I, I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord, so refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Oh, and one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark and Aristarchus, Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now, one of the great themes that runs throughout the Bible from beginning to end is the theme of reconciliation, bringing back people into a relationship with each other. Uh, Since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, God has sought reconciliation between himself and mankind, and also between one man and another, between peoples. The Old Testament is filled with stories of brokenness and and the need for forgiveness and reconciliation. In In the Gospels, Jesus taught about the importance of seeking reconciliation, renewed relationships, whether we have wronged somebody else or if they have wronged us. In, in the uh, further writings of the New Testament, Paul would repeatedly say about how, how through Jesus, God has reconciled us to himself and has given us the ministry of sharing that reconciliation with the rest of the world as his ambassadors. Now, you, you'll hear about forgiveness a lot from preachers. Well, we'll talk to you about how we must forgive, uh, how at the end of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says that if we don't forgive our brothers, we won't be forgiven. But as you read through Philemon, I I think it's not just about forgiveness. It's not just a one-way street here where Philemon needs to forgive his runaway slave, Onesimus. Uh, uh, It really goes beyond that to this two-way street of being reconciled to one another. Reconciliation is different from forgiveness in a couple ways. First of all, forgiveness is, 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 is about you. It's about you letting something go. And it doesn't really matter what the other person does or not. You can forgive somebody who is not repentant at all. Uh, but, but with reconciliation, it really is a group thing. It, it really has something to do with you and the other person coming back together. And it's an outward expression, secondly, of this inward uh, principle of forgiveness. In other words... Yes, you can forgive somebody, but unless you're living out reconciliation, it's hard for me to know if you've forgiven them or not. I I love what the author C.S. Lewis 
once said about forgiveness. He says, listen, everybody says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. You see, to, to actually play it out. You can talk about forgiveness all you want. You could even say, yes, I've forgiven this person, but now let me put you in the room with that person and see where, where the rubber really meets the road. As we read this letter to Philemon, we're going to see that it's hard work uh, reconciliation. Hard work on both these men's part, Onesimus and Philemon. See, Onesimus has run away. He, he was a slave and he's run away, costing Philemon some income and some resources. Whether he took some things with him or, or just through his absence, Philemon lost some productivity. And then Philemon, who needs to then bring uh, Onesimus back into his graces as not just a slave, but now as a brother. They both have something difficult to do as followers of Christ. Now, now before I get into anything else, you need to understand about slavery back in these days. Not like the slavery that you have been taught about in our history of America. Uh, First of all, uh, up to a third of Rome's citizenship would have been slaves, most historians would tell you. Uh, and they were rarely treated poorly uh, because there were laws that would uh, condemn cruelty. Uh, they, they were more like employees that just had very limited rights. Uh, people who couldn't just walk away from their employment, but whose needs were met by their masters. Um, and freedom could actually be arranged if the, the master agreed to let the slave go, but if the slave was actually willing to leave his master because oftentimes life underneath his master was better than, than trying to do life on your own because all of your, uh, your, your meals and your, your, your uh, uh, provision and your shelter were, were given to you. So people wonder, why, why doesn't Paul just come on out and say, slavery is wrong, Philemon, you know better than that, you should just free Onesimus. I command you to do so. Well, Paul was not against freeing the slaves at all. But what he wanted it to be was a a choice on the master's part. He's appealing to love. He's saying, I could command you to do this, Philemon, but but I'm actually seeing where your faith leads you. And and I want this to be a matter between you and God out of your own heart. Um, And if you choose not to, there's still a responsibility, Philemon. Uh, In Colossians chapter 4, and again, Philemon would have been a part of the Colossian church. uh, Colossians 4 Paul says, masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair. Why? Well, because you know that you have a master in heaven as well. So so he's calling there to be some brotherliness between master and slave. And and, and he knows that this has got to come from a supernatural source in, in order for their hearts to change. For Philemon, he needs to treat Onesimus fairly and well, but on Onesimus' part, he needs to come back and serve well. See, each guy had personal spiritual responsibilities, not in order for forgiveness to happen, but for reconciliation to happen. They both had a responsibility. Let's talk about Onesimus. Paul had obviously come to see Onesimus as a partner in ministry. It's, it's interesting. Onesimus was very helpful to Paul, and yet his name means useless. Whether that was his actual name that his mom gave him, that would be kind of sad, or whether it became his nickname because he was just useless to everybody. Paul says now he has become useful because he's understanding that he needs to work for the kingdom of God, not just for the kingdom of man. So he is actually very useful. 
And yet Paul, as a man of integrity, knew that though I could continue to use Onesimus in my ministry, Onesimus has a choice to make, a decision to do the right thing. You see, he's robbed his master Philemon of something. And the right thing would be to go back to his master and to own up to the music. Now, we know that he was sent back uh, by Paul with a man named Tychicus in Colossians 4, 7, where we say that Tychicus is going to tell them all the news about Paul. And and, um, uh, he's a faithful minister. He's a fellow slave in the Lord. I'm sending Tychicus back to you for this purpose so that you may know how we are. And he is coming, Paul says, with Onesimus, the faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. Guys, that has to be one of the hardest things that Onesimus would ever have to do. Not only is he going to return to potential punishment and going back to a life where he is not free anymore, but possibly even harder than that is the idea that you have to admit that you were wrong, that you've wronged somebody. Don't you find that that's really hard to do? You guys remember Happy Days, that TV show in the Fawns? That one time where he, he had done something wrong, but he couldn't say it. He say, I got to tell you, I was, I was, I say, are you trying to say I was wrong? He goes, yeah, I was, is that hard for you to go to somebody and say, you know, that, that was on me. I'm sorry. I was, in fact, I, I find that it's so much easier to say to somebody else, oh, you were right than to say I was wrong. I don't know why, but, but it is. Why? Because when you are able to say, hey, when I treated you that way or when I did this to, to a loved one of yours, I was wrong. That takes humility, doesn't it? That, that means you've got to get off this, like I'm, I'm better than everybody else. And you have to say that, huh, even as a pastor, I make mistakes. I was wrong. For, for Onesimus, there's hard work to go back Not just to say, I I might be a slave again, but actually to say to his master, I am sorry, I was wrong. Now, the second person in this equation is Philemon. Now, Philemon had converted to Christianity. He was a ministry partner with Paul. And and, and so, not only that, he was a leader in the church. As you look, he was rich enough to have a guest room. So when Paul says, hey, when I come, prepare that guest room for me. Also, he has a church meeting in his house. Also, did you notice that Paul actually addresses this letter not just to Philemon, but to the church that meets in this house too? Now, how hard is that to, to actually have somebody tell you, though you're the leader, that you have a responsibility to bring back Onesimus and to bring him back as a brother, not just as a slave, and to treat him right and fair. He's appealing to Philemon to do the right thing, which is... You know what? You need to forgive Onesimus for what he's done to you. Can you imagine? I mean, now the whole church is is reading this letter. Can you imagine the March newsletter comes out and right on the front page is a letter from me telling you by name who has to forgive somebody else. Wouldn't you like that? Uh, I'd be looking for another job, I would imagine, because that's awfully personal, especially if you find yourself a leader of a small group or an elder or a deaconess or somebody in charge of something, and I'm asking you to go back. See, that's, that's hard to do as well. Who has the, the harder task, you, you, you wonder? The one who has to ask for forgiveness 
and say I was wrong, or the one who will actually say, you know what, yeah, you were wrong, but you know what, I love you, and I'm going to offer forgiveness and reconciliation to you. Why doesn't that happen in churches? Why, why, why would churches rather split up to be the Peg Baptist Church and the anti-Peg Baptist Church? It's because of pride, folks. Ultimately, that's what it is. Every conflict that you're in, somebody is unwilling to either say, I was wrong, or somebody is unwilling to say, and I forgive you. When there is conflict, it's because there is pride. I want what I want. I'm not going to give in to you. It's my way or the highway. All attitudes that mar what we were created for, for relationships. Our pride hinders our relationship with them and our relationship with God. See, Philemon opens up this whole conversation that we're going to continue next week. It's about restoring broken relationships within the body of Christ. It's about seeing yourself in the right light. Romans chapter 12, Paul says, For by the grace given to me, First of all, think about that. Paul says, for by the grace given to me, what grace had been given to Paul? Well, remember, Paul was the one who was persecuting the church. He thought that he was doing the right thing by taking Christians and throwing them into jail to await a death sentence. That was his life, and he thought he was doing right, and he was very arrogant about it. He knew he was doing the right thing until God says, no, you're not, and grace was given to him. And by that same grace given to Paul, he says, I say to every one of you, Just like me, he says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Onesimus, you could have thought that you had every right and justification for running away from Philemon because slavery is not right. And he he had it coming. Philemon, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think that you have every right to punish this guy beyond any other punishment to, to prove that you were right and he was wrong. Paul says, rather, think of yourself with sober judgment. What that means is this, the, the, the ground at the cross is level. That means we're all in this together. That means we're all family. Don't think of yourself more highly than you are, but think of yourself with sober judgment. So whether you are the master or the slave, doesn't matter. You're brothers, you're sisters in Christ, and that means reconciliation must be the, 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 the priority of the day. Right now, I invite the worship team to come on up. And uh, again, this is just kind of a preparation for next week. First of all, let me ask you, why? Why would we do this? Why do we give up our pride uh, for the sake of reconciliation? Why? Why? Well, you, you could have your own personal reason why to reconcile. There's a story about a man who found, he was on a desert island, of course, and he found a, a, a lamp, of course, and he rubbed it and a genie came out, of course, because that's how those jokes go. And as he rubs the lamp, uh, the, the genie pops out and says, I'll give you one wish. And he said, I really wish that my brother and I would be reconciled, that we would have peace with each other, that we could forgive one another. Now, the genie was obviously touched. He goes, that, that's, that's amazing. Uh, uh, you must have this great insight. You, you must be at the end of your life and, and want to make sure that, that everything is fine between you and your brother. Uh, you, are, are you dying? He goes, oh, no, no, my brother is, and he's worth $600 million dollars. And I'd like to get back in his good graces before he dies. See, now, that's not why we reconcile, just so that we would have an easy life and, and not have any problems with anybody. Folks, as long as the church is peopled with people, we will have problems. We will have conflicts. There will be personality clashes. 
But why should we work for reconciliation? Well, first of all, it's for the, the good of the body of Christ. Good for the body of Christ. God asks us to live in peace. To, to be like Jesus, to sacrifice for one another. Philippians 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. This, the result of this kind of love and reconciliation is actually strength for the body of Christ. Jesus says, I got a commission for you. Go and make disciples of all people. To work for that mission requires focus and strength and unity. And if Satan can get a church biting at one another, he can divert our attention from what is most important and he can bring division into the body of Christ. And far too often then we forget what is truly important, the priority of the commission of God because we're trying to fight each other to see who's right and who's wrong. So it's for the good of the body of Christ, but it's also for the glory of God. You see, when we can stand in unity, then we can show the power of Jesus and what he does with relationships and how strong that bond is that that goes beyond any other uh, difference that we may have with one another. There's a church in England called the Coventry Cathedral. It stood for many, many, many years, centuries even. It was bombed in World War II by the Germans. And, and when the workmen went in after the, the, the bombing happened, they began to, to, to find nails from the Middle Ages. This church had been around for that long. And, and they began to make these crosses out of the, the nails um, and plate them with silver. It was pretty cool. And they put one of those crosses on, on, on this uh, altar. And on that altar, then they took some of the charred uh, remains of the church, charred uh, beams, and they made a cross that would remind them of what had happened when the Germans bombed them. But behind that cross are the words, Father, forgive. And that stands now as a testimony to the power of Jesus in somebody's life to say, it doesn't matter what you've done to me. I, I, can, I, can, I can focus in on the evil that was done to this church, but instead, I'm going, I'm going to be focusing in on reconciliation and say, Father, forgive. How much of the current pain and heartache and violence and hatred and destruction in this world is due to the inability of people to sacrifice and to be forgiving towards one another and to be reconciled? How much of the struggles of the church is due to the inability of God's people to sacrifice their rights to revenge and to embrace forgiveness and reconciliation as a way of life. Now, if you want to know how it's done, come back next week. And, and from Jesus' own words, I'm going to teach you how to do that. So you might want to be here. You might want to bring somebody else who needs to hear this as well. And, and uh, we'll put up way more chairs next week. And, and we're going to learn how to do this in a godly, mature way that brings strength to the body of Christ and glory to God.